to you, a young woman says this, I'm realizing at 32 that I don't care about building a career or climbing any corporate ladder. All I want to do is make the most amount of money working the least number of hours, possibly so that I can spend my time the way I want it and live my life on my own terms. Now, I just want you to hold that for a moment. As we read uh, from the Scriptures, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. Now, now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy, their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their, their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they didn't do that the way that we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. And then verse 6, So we urged Titus, uh, since he had earlier made a beginning, you had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. That's the Corinthian church. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Verse 9 which really is the key verse to these, uh, this passage. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes, for your sakes, he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now, the statement of this young woman sounds a bit jarring, doesn't it? When you read it slowly and when you highlight some key words, uh, it, it really expresses some of the spirit of, uh, uh, of our age. I want to make as much money as I can with the least amount of work and I want to live life on my own terms. Sounds very much like a contemporary attitude. It reminds me uh, 
of that verse in 1 Timothy 3, where it says, and I'll come back to that a little bit, in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money and lovers of a whole heap of other things. Uh, now, I won't go into the last days, but again and again, the Bible speaks to truth. And it speaks to truth as we see it every day, 24 hours a day in our world. Now, as Christians, we would never make such a statement, at least not openly. Or would we? Just asking. No, perhaps we wouldn't make a statement like that out loud. But I wonder, I wonder if it wouldn't be true that over the years we've been, unconsciously perhaps, we've taken on some of the spirit of this age. And I wonder if the world in which we live, the world that is bombarding us, with its ideologies and its desires and its images. The way that it tries to frame our lives and our thinking. I wonder if perhaps sometimes we got swept along with the zeitgeist, the time that we live in and the world that we live in. The reason I'm telling you this is there is no doubt that the world around us is doing everything it can to infiltrate our minds and the minds of our children. Now, we would not openly say what this young lady said in, her, in the opening statement, but wouldn't it be important to examine ourselves to see how far, uh, how far uh, the spirit of this age has permeated our thinking and our responses and the way we, we deal with things and the way we, uh, we, uh, we respond to things. There's another church that I'm thinking of, and that's the Laodicean church in, uh, uh, in Revelation 3. They boasted that they were rich, that they didn't need anything. And maybe they were thanking God for what they had. They didn't even see uh, that they were poor and miserable, uh, that, uh, how poor and miserable they were in God's assessment. And it's a well-known fact that the church in the West is declining. If you uh, uh, keep yourself informed about what's happening in the Church of England, uh, in England, the churches in the United States, and here in, uh, uh, and here in Australia, yeah. there's a shift on moral issues. Uh, I don't know if I should say this, but I will. Uh, even though we have uh, grave uh, differences with the Catholic Church, but up to this point, the Catholic Church worldwide has been a bastion of, of moral uh, values. That is starting to break down 
you just uh, uh, look for it. Issues of gender and family that the Christian church has held since the beginning are gradually slipping away, are being dismantled. They're being dismantled in the world, but they're being dismantled in our churches as well. And it's important to be on the alert about our lives and about our thinking and the way we think and the way we conduct ourselves and our ambitions. Thinking, uh, Chuck Colson coined a phrase, we need to learn to think Christianly. We have some, uh, or, or do we have some other framework of thinking? And I'll come to the Macedonian church uh, in just a minute. Believe me, believe me, in our country, in our Western society, uh, the demarcation lines between the Christian worldview and the ideologies of the world around us is becoming more and more defined, the differences. The red lines uh, that we cannot cross, <laughs> if ever we could. The red lines uh, we are to take uh, for our Christian faith and, the teach and to take the, our Christian faith uh, and the teaching of the Bible seriously, the red lines are becoming harder and harder to avoid. Believe me. Who is going to stand up for Judeo-Christian values if it isn't the church? But I think it'll cost us. The time when Christianity was a respected part of society is disappearing if it hasn't already more rapidly than perhaps we re realize. All the indicators are there. Just like the Macedonian churches who were not only poor, but they were also persecuted. Uh, maybe they were poor because they were persecuted. Like so many of our brothers and sisters today, uh, don't have the same uh, uh, economic opportunities because of their faith in Christ. Now, we, find, we may find that hard to imagine in our day, but even in our country, there are people losing their job or their business because they stand for Christian values. It is happening. And so I want to look at these verses here in 2 Corinthians. Um, they're a bit tricky, aren't they? Uh, as you probably know, you know, they are sometimes used to make people feel uncomfortable uh, talking about money. You know, church leaderships and pastors sometimes... Uh, uh, go to 1 Corinthians 8 when the offerings are down or when we do a building project or so. Well, I won't do that. Now, even though the, 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 the passage is about money here, it is obvious that it goes much deeper than just money. And I want to look at some of the Issues, the underlying issues and motivations. The Apostle Paul write to the church in Corinth, which was a rich church. 
compared with the Macedonian churches. Uh, it was a center of commerce, uh, a, a wealth and culture, and, and some of that had rubbed off uh, on the Corinthian church. Uh, it, it was a church that had it all, so to speak, but socially and especially spiritually, from a Christian perspective, they weren't doing so well. You read Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, and you find all sorts of things uh, that, mm, well, we say, mm, is that the church? They had agreed to support the suffering church in Jerusalem. And then they had gone cold on the idea. And the apostle in this chapter stirs them up and reminds them on the, of their commitment. Uh, uh, in, in contrast to the churches in Macedonia. Philippi, Thessalonica, I'll go slow. Every time I try to do that quick, I struggle. Uh, I strip over my own one. Thessalonica, right? And Berea, that's an easy one. They were poor churches compared to Corinth. But in Corinth, they had lost the vision that when one member of the body suffers, they all suffer. And Paul refers to that in his first letter in, the, in chapter 12, where he says, if one part suffers, all suffer. Every part suffers with it. And even though that particular chapter, the direct application of that chapter, is primarily applies to the uh, the local church, in my view, it also applies to the, the church worldwide as a body of Christ. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. The latest estimates are that 360 million Christians live in situations of poverty. Very often in refugee camps or maybe even, not even, refugee camps, being marginalized, being persecuted, where the possibility of losing your job or not having a job, your freedom, and even your life for the sake of Christ is a daily, weekly experience. Just this past week, uh, at a Zoom conference that I was part of, uh, I heard the statistics about Christians losing their lives at the moment in Africa. And the statistics are stagger staggering. Places like Uganda, Burkina Faso, uh, uh, Congo, uh, even Uganda. Uh, you, may have rem you may remember the school in Uganda just on the other side of the Congolese border. Uh, and Islamists came in more than half of the student body was killed of that school, that college. And it is not something that just happens occasionally. This is the reality. The possibility of losing your job for your freedom or even your life for the sake of Christ. And the early church understood that, or at least the Macedonian church, uh, uh, the churches did, because they were in the same boat. They knew what the Jerusalem church was going through. If one part suffers, all parts suffer 
with it. When we go to Acts chapter 11, uh, and I just want to go through that for, uh, for a few minutes, we find that the church in Antioch understood this. And Antioch, which is today's Antakya, which is the area where the earthquake was earlier in the year. Uh, and I happened to mention that uh, in a church uh, in uh, Alice Springs earlier in the year. And there was a, a couple came forward, and they were actually missionaries in Turkey. Their son had been an evangelist in Turkey. He was banned for life from Turkey. They were actually in the area of Antakya uh, while the earthquake was happening. And they said, people have lost everything. Uh, and Christians in that area, in Turkey, they're not only... Uh, it, uh, hated because they're Christians, they're hated because they are Syrians very often. Uh, so, uh, in Antioch, in the first church, uh, which was in its, itself a church born out of persecution, a refugee church, not rich, but when they heard that there was famine in Judea, in, the, in the, uh, Jerusalem, uh, they, did it, they, they decided to financially support the church in Jerusalem. Here it says, Acts chapter 11, verse 20, 29, the disciples who, by the way, as we read in that chapter, were for the first time called Christians, uh, each, according to ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. Aid from one church to another church. And Paul and Barnabas in the, at that time were the conduits for that aid to flow from that one church to Jerusalem. And that's exactly Barnabas' aid's MO, to be a conduit from Christians, through Christians, uh, to Christians in need. And so the Apostle Paul, as he travels around the churches, uh, he uh, goes around uh, doing fundraising for the church in Jerusalem. And Christians in Macedonia were not just living for themselves, but for others inspired by the example of Jesus himself. They had every right to be thinking of themselves. They had every right to be thinking that maybe the Corinthian church should support them because they didn't have anything. And Paul gives a testimony of how the churches in Macedonia go about, can you believe it, supporting the suffering church in Jerusalem. And I just want to look at some issues that may help us to, to understand the right biblical perspective in our lives and how we deal with important issues. And that's not just money and finance. Believe me, we get plenty of uh, advice from the world around us. But what we need is biblical perspective, biblical principles. And I want to use the example of the Macedonian churches to frame our minds uh, to frame our minds about these issues uh, that are swirling around us, not just money, that we get confronted with all day long. Don't forget, here we are in the cradle 
of the Christian church, uh, these verses. And already the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul have to warn the believers uh, not to conform to the world around us, uh, around them. As before I said, in the last day, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. Terrible times will come. And I don't have to give you examples. The, the things that we hear and the things that we see on the news, the things that educated people in our country say, when you step back and say, that's ridiculous. Uh, and so we, we, we're going through terrible times. Uh, and, for instance, the whole issue of... Uh, the war in the Middle East. Uh, nobody in our government has a clear understanding uh, of what's going on. Um, and, and I believe that people's hearts and minds are blind, blinded, that our government, uh, their hearts and minds are blinded because we put God outside, as it says in Romans 1. They come because in our Western societies we have largely disconnected ourselves from Judeo-Christian principles that were so long a guiding principle uh, for the Western world. And as a counterbalance, so looking at how it was that the Macedonian churches were such an example. To the church, an example to the church in Corinth and an example to us. Notice that Paul is saying, I want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. Through Paul's preaching, they had come to know the wonderful salvation through the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. The things that we've been thinking about uh, uh, this morning through our songs and through some of the, the things that, uh, that Adrian brought to to us this morning. The, the wonderful, uh, they had experienced what it means to be taken out of darkness into his wonderful light. Peter says it here. Uh, they had uh, come to understand what it means to be a chosen people, as Peter says, uh, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, uh, a people belonging to God, called out of darkness into his wonderful light. And because of that, for them, everything changed. Their whole perspective in life changed. Their attitude to home and family and relationships and money. No longer were they following the motivations and the precepts of the world around them. How important it is for us to consider uh, that question. Does our Christian faith really inform us in all aspects of life? I just want you to, uh, to consider that. Does our Christian faith really inform us about the aspects of life? Not only had he had they accepted the grace of God through Jesus Christ, but also they now wanted to live according 
to that grace that they had received. And if you go to verse 8, you find the model, the nature of that grace that was given uh, to these churches. They discovered that uh, although in a material sense uh, they were dirt poor, they were persecuted, they were desperately poor, but that in Christ they were rich. And I find it hard to get my, my, my head around that in our Western materialistic society. They were rich because he became poor for them. Do we realize that? He became poor for us so that in him we would be rich, irrespective of what our situation in life is. And not many of us have had the experience that everything has been stripped from us. But the Macedonian believers were in that situation. And as Christians, Christians in Myanmar are in that situation. Many in Nigeria and in other places. They had seen the truth of their salvation. They had become poor for them so that in him they would be rich. And that changed everything. And so we see the result of that in verse 2. And there's four, four words in verse 2 uh, uh, that uh, we can uh, kind of distill out of that verse. The most severe trial, extreme poverty, overflowing joy, and rich generosity. Can you understand that? These things simply don't go together. But by the grace of God that God had given them, they totally changed about what was important in life for them. It was not just about money, although that's the primary subject here. A different way of life. A way of life that really does not make sense when you think about it. The Christian faith and the practical outworking of it is foolishness to the world around us. The churches in Morocco who are marginalized, who are poor, who are small, who have their churches locked up, uh, are, humanly speaking, in no position to reach out to their neighbors who uh, suffer for the, uh, uh, from the earthquake. But they do. And so did the Macedonian churches. The Apostle Paul points out in his first letter to the Corinthians, uh, uh, wisdom of the world and the wisdom uh, in, the, in, the, in the Christian wisdom, the wisdom of God is foolishness uh, for the world, as the Apostle Paul said. Not only foolishness, there's a growing hostility to the Christian faith. Christians are, are no longer seen as strange or weird but they are seen as the enemy. You stand up and, 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 and talk, about, uh, uh, talk about the gender issue, uh, and soon you'll be called a bigot or a homophobe or whatever phobe uh, uh, they, call, they call you. Every now and then we see that happening when the veneer comes off. You speak about issues of sexuality and gender and found how fast 
you'll be called before some equal opportunity board, as some Christians have already and are as we speak. They came to know more about the faith they had embraced. They came to know more about also about the author of that faith, as it, uh, who it says in verse 9, though he was rich, uh, he became poor for our sakes. And so through his poverty that we might become rich. Someone has said the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. But that's what Jesus did. The story of him who was in the presence of God the Father. The story of him who came to this dark world to live and die as one who was rejected. Was rejected by the world he came to save. And to the point that he was put on a cross and executed in the most humiliating way possible. And so, he became not only our savior, but also their model in life. For the Macedonian believers, identify, identifying with Jesus was their greatest motivation. Above anything else, looking to Jesus, they said, fixing our eyes upon him, the author and perfecter of our faith. And they had learned what it says in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews uh, uh, 12. Consider him, consider Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners that you do not grow weary uh, and lose heart. That's why they were different. Different from the Corinthian church. Model yourself on taking his life and his walk here on earth. In another context, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, the great battleground of the enemy of the world around us is for the minds and hearts of God's people. In our country, in our Western world, we see that play out every hour of the day, our children, our grandchildren. Instead, the Bible tells us, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Uh, Philippians 2, again, very well-known words. So following the, the model of Jesus, they stopped living for themselves. Uh, and they started living for God as an outflowing of that for others in need. Verse 5 says, they gave themselves to the Lord and by the will of God, they gave themselves to us uh, and to others. Because of that, they pleaded with the Apostle Paul that they might partake uh, in the offering for the suffering church in Jerusalem. They considered it a privilege to take part in the supporting the suffering church, uh, uh, unlike the Corinthian church, who had made a commitment and then forgotten about it, taken up with other things. Life was just too good, too distracting. I want to close with two things. What we started off with, and the great stark 
difference of the opening statement, I want to make as much money as I can, and I want to live for myself. And the Macedonian church, who had nothing and gave everything. We don't know what it means to lose everything for Christ. In God's mercy, he has kept that from us so far, which is very unusual in the history of the Christian church. Unlike many believers in other countries for whom that is a daily reality. The second thing is we're going to sing a song that, to be quite honest, often make me cringe. And I've talked to Adrian about that. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. <laughs> Take my silver and my gold. And not a mite with I will I withhold. Do we realize that the widow's might was all she had? She didn't give that out of, you know, that was all she had. And so, like the Macedonian believers, and in our minds, we so often put a caveat on that verse, isn't it? Take my life and let it be. But, may God grant us his grace when it comes to when these things become real for us whatever form it takes wouldn't it be an honor if it was said about us in the way that the apostle Paul testifies about the Macedonian church uh, it, it was as he said uh, if, if it would be if he would say it about us, I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Foothills Church. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then to others. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we do thank you for your word. And Father, it stands in stark contrast more and more every day with the world around us. And perhaps we're not used to it. For those of us who are older, uh, we remember a time that the Christian faith and the Christian church was a respected part of the society. And we're finding that uh, that is no longer the case. And Father, more and more I think we will be able to identify with our brothers and sisters who've lived through that all their lives. And so, Father, we pray that you give us the grace in our lives, uh, in our interactions with other people, uh, uh, to stand for what is true, to stand for what is right, according to you. So we Jesus. Amen.